All right, what's going on, guys? You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here. Um, as you heard uh, on the first episode of this series, uh, getting a VC's attention uh, takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of knowledge. Uh, you got to be able to uh, build a network. You got to be able to do a lot of cold outreach. Got to be able to communicate the idea of your startup really well, and you got to be able to present them the right amount of data and the right kind of data uh, to give them enough information to feel confident about your startup. Um, and getting their attention is just the beginning. So once you get their attention and they do their due, due diligence and they feel confident about what you're doing, uh, then is the next step, which is they'll present you with the term sheet. Yeah, and the term sheet is what this next uh, part of the series is going to be centered around. Um, so we're going to walk you through uh, what goes into getting a company's valuation. Um, I know you always hear these stories of, oh, this company was valued at a billion dollars. Um, but you know, a lot of times people don't actually know what goes into uh, getting that valuation. So we'll be walking you through that. Uh, what kind of confirmatory due diligence goes into uh, getting that term sheet to the founders once an investment decision has been made. Uh, so there's a big process that goes into it. Once uh, you know you shake hands and you're saying, all right, we want to make this investment, there's still a lot of due diligence that needs to be done uh, to make sure that that check can be actually deposited into account and utilized by those founders. Um, then we're also going to be walking through um, what the approval process looks like for the VCs. Uh, so this is often a, a part of the process that uh, entrepreneurs entrepreneurs know the least about. So we're excited to share this part with you, shed some, shed some light on it. Um, we hope it's very informative for you guys. So we're going to go ahead and dive on in. pick up right where we left off in the last episode um, here at the top just give us a definition of a term sheet and how a VC gets to a term sheet so let's recap that real briefly so just to highlight what a term sheet is a term sheet is really an offer of what a investor thinks a company is worth what terms are going to be associated with that investors capital uh, how much capital that investor is willing to put in um, and I would say, you know, the key element too, it, it is a term sheet it is non-binding. You know, there are certain legal restrictions around it, um, but it's not the final binding purchase agreement or shareholder agreement either too. So, you know, understanding that's critical and really diligence that led up to that term sheet is centralizing around, um, you know, the team, the market the opportunity with the business, you know, what is their solution to the problem in the marketplace? What kind of traction have they had? And really confirming all of that um, and getting comfortable with all that. And, you know, also thinking through the VC or Poplar in this case, uh, investment thesis on this, you know, ways we can add value. Do this? Do we think this is one we can add value to and, and play in it? So all of those types of conversations would have led up to the term sheet and then Obviously, what I just highlighted would be key pieces that we are putting into a term sheet. So we want to take a deeper dive into the term sheet and the valuation you guys are giving these companies. And VCs have equity targets when they go into these deals. Talk about what that is for you guys and what the typical um, might be in, in the industry. As far as equity targets, um, you know, I, I don't know that there's a set rule, honestly, that we're looking for a particular target. Um, I think that um, you know, given, given the size of the fund that we have, $22 million fund, we are trying to, you know, generate 
an appropriate over a 10 year period of time, an appropriate return on investment on, on that $22 million. And keeping in mind that that 22 million goes in over a period of time over probably three to five years, maybe sometimes even a little bit further, depending upon follow on investments that occur. So you're investing in the early part of that 10 year cycle, and then hopefully you're getting your returns at the back end. So it is very much focused on, you know, multiples of capital that you can generate or, you know, in terms, if I can turn 22 into into a hundred, can I, uh, over what period of time? And that, that basically dictates what their return on investment is or the IRR of the, of the fund. So those are the basic elements of what we're dealing with. Um, so when I'm, when we're looking at an individual investment, I'm, I'm, I'm less worried about the specific multiple. I'm, what I'm really trying to understand is, do I feel like I have a good grasp of what the business is? Do I feel like that um, I have a good understanding of how to value the business? And so businesses that are, that are where you have operating metrics, again, easier to put a value on those and get comfort around value for, the, for those businesses. If they don't have a lot of operating metrics or they have a lot of optionality, in the business, meaning potential big opportunities that are hard to put a value on, then those can get those get a little bit a little bit more difficult. But when I look at the when, when you're putting the term sheet together and you're coming up with here's the valuation that I would put on a business, you are projecting into the future. What do I think this business is worth in the future? And so over some period of time, do I believe that this business can go from, let's say, a $5 million revenue business today? Can it be a $100 million revenue business in 10 years, right? Just ballpark. So that's kind of the mentality you're going through when you invest. So when you're looking at that, you're saying, okay, $5 million revenue now. You look at the market comparables. You look at you know kind of where the business is. You look at the operating metrics of the business and you put a valuation on that business. And then you, and then you look at, Okay, based on that valuation, based on the amount of money that we're going to invest in the company, we own X percent of the business. If it becomes, you know, basically what is my target valuation in order to get a five times return on capital, you know, 10 times return on capital. You can you can go through and look at whatever the multiple that you're looking for might be. But, you know, if you if I can, I, I can tell you right now, if I did a five X on a fund over a 10 year period of time, the IRR would be pretty good. Right. So ballpark, you know, that's probably where my head is in terms of what I'm thinking about. So I'm always thinking about when I'm making that investment, what does the value need to be for me to get to that return? And that's when I'm thinking pretty hard about, you know, how likely is it that that company can get to the point where they can grow their revenue base to get to that valuation in order to get that return on investment? That's what's going through my head. And you mentioned on the last episode talking about, you know, having to tell a founder sometimes your baby's not as pretty or your baby is really pretty. So that kind of leads into the negotiation side of this. Is it typical to have kind of a back and forth in a negotiation when talking about valuations of a company or is it pretty straightforward most of the time? What does that side of the deal look like? It could be any of the above, right? It really depends on, um, it just depends on the investor and the the company. And, And honestly, it depends on whether, you know, I said before, if, if the company's got alternatives, if you've got a competitive process where you've got more than one investor investing, that's the best way for an, for an entrepreneur to to make sure that they're getting 
you know, both fair price and best price, right? If they have multiple, uh, multiple offers. Um, so, you know, my, my perspective would be that, 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 um, you know, you're trying to come to, you're, you're basically trying to mutually come to terms on something that will work for both parties. Again, you know, the investor and the investor wants the entrepreneur to be motivated, wants them to be, um, focused on the business and wants them to be happy with the opportunity that's in front of them. Um, and I think on the, on the flip side, the investor needs to feel like that they're in a good spot, that they can think that they can generate a return for their investors. So it's, it's a balance and it's okay. I, I don't have a problem if a, if an entrepreneur pushed back on valuation, but if I might say, sorry, I'm not, this is, this is, we've done the analysis. This is what we think is a fair valuation. This is why we think this is a fair valuation. And, and I may say that's the best, the best we're going to be able to do. Or I might be say, I might say, fine, we're willing to move a little bit on, on certain terms. So there's no, there is no, <laughs> there's no cookie cutter on that. Um, and all I would say is it perfectly fine. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to, if you've got a credible argument as to why you think your value should be higher or that the term should be different, then make the argument. And if it's a valid argument, then I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm not saying I'll agree with it, but I may be more receptive to it if it's a valid argument. Yep. And so you guys are negotiating and you guys come to terms um, and a term sheet's handed to them while they're, well, you said it's non-binding. So they have this term sheet. And at this point, you guys go into a much deeper due, due, due diligence process. Um, talk about that a bit, kind of set the stage there for that process. Yeah. So term sheet, uh, it's all been agreed to at that point. So the key terms that are highlighted in that term sheet, everybody has mutually agreed upon those. And, and so basically they say, yes, Poplar, we want to work with you or XVC fund. We want to work with you and what other syndicates associated with that now I would say usually uh, it's not the whole round. So if a company was out raising $10 million, doesn't necessarily mean that they have to have the full $10 million locked in at that point. Usually it's probably a lead investor and then maybe a couple others, or they could have the whole round raised um, at that point. Um, but it's not, you know, I don't want entrepreneurs to think, well, I have to have every dollar raised at that point in time because you can still then go out after you've locked in the term sheet and, and honestly close the round and you know round out the other $2 million, let's say, you need to raise. Um, but at that point, so we kind of have the terms. So then we go into really confirmatory due diligence, meaning we're looking underneath the covers, trying to figure out were there things that you didn't tell us, you know, from a legal act, were you in a lawsuit three years ago? So it really centralizes around kind of three or four functional areas, you know, uh, legal, financial, so accounting, right, running your books, making sure there's no taxes, you know, tax liabilities or anything like that against you. Uh, technology due diligence, and then you'll uh, run into kind of operational and, and management team due diligence. So likely doing a lot of reference checks. So calling customers, making sure, you know, that they're talking the same way the founder's telling us, right? Saying, hey, they're going to sign a contract in two months. Is the customer going to tell me the same thing? And they're like, yeah, well, that's really like 12 months on the road. So that's the kind of stuff that you're really you're trying to confirm, make sure that all the statements that led up to a term sheet are true and accurate. And then on top of that, you're working on the legal side. So, you know, what are the different uh, legal agreements that need to happen to ensure that the round gets closed out and everything's buttoned up, you know, your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. And, and again, what I would say on the due diligence front is that it's going to, like every, again, don't generalize because it will vary. Yeah. It depends on the company 
Um, you know, you might have great comfort with um, the technology or you might not, right? So do, do I need to do a deep dive on technology? You might, you might want to, um, you, you know, financials. Again, it helps if you know, again, if you know the company for a while and you've been following them a little bit, then you've got to, you're going to have a better sense of what's going on with the company and that will probably make that due diligence process a little bit smoother. Um, but again, it, var- it varies dramatically. And, and you know, again, as an investor, what, what we're really looking for at that point, we've already kind of gotten to the point where we said, yeah, we like this business and we want to invest. And we've already really agreed on the core terms. So really all we're looking for is the aha. You know, <laughs> like you don't, I don't want to close on the investment and find out the next day that, 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 you know, something crazy has been going on behind the scenes. That's not a very good, that's not a very good outcome. Yeah. So, so that's really what, that's what you're doing in the due diligence. And I would say, you know, it, my personal view is that if, if I get you to a term sheet, then I want, I'm closing, right? That, that's my mentality. I'm not looking for an out at that point. I want to close. Um, and all this due diligence is really just to confirm. I will say that probably the most important part of that due diligence process from my perspective is, is the customer calls. So you, we really have to, and, and I know that this is typically the way this works is that you wait until you've done the term sheet to get to the customer calls because you don't want to bother your customers with a bunch of investors, you know, 10 different investors calling your customers. Uh, not a good process. So you're really waiting until you get through the term sheet. Now you know you got somebody that's basically interested in investing. Let's do those customer calls. But those are really, really important. And I get I get the most value out of those because how many are you looking for as an calls? investor? Yeah, how many? It just how many depends. I mean, if you if you'd let me, I'd call all of them. But but you know, practically you can't do that. Uh, so um, you know, I, per, I like to have those conversations. So. You know, when when I invested in Skew Vault as an example, I talk. You, you meet some interesting people, by the way. So I'm, you know, Skew Vault's got all the, their e-commerce. So you know, I'm calling a bunch of their e-commerce customers, and you you find these these little random e-commerce companies. You're like, where'd that come from? Yeah, I didn't even know anybody did that. But but it, you know, it's pretty interesting, and also to get their background and how did they get to this point. But you're obviously looking for why did you pick this solution? Did you do a bake off between this solution and the other solution? You know, how happy are you with it? What's wrong with, you know, what are they doing wrong? Uh, you know, th- those are the things that that helps you give you color around what's going on with the business. And again, the whole point of all of this, from my perspective, is you walk into the investment, you know what you're getting into. You do not. And, and I'll say to entrepreneurs, this is really, really important. Do not surprise your investors. OK, tell them everything and make let them get to a decision that they want to invest do not let them be surprised it's just a i mean it it'll it'll get you off number one it'll kill a deal right and it will and then if you if it happens post the investment now you're on a really you know your relationship is off to a a really bad start yeah right so what are some things you've seen that have just caught you off guard and you said oh this is this can't happen anymore uh, it's just, or what's an example of maybe it's just it's just around I, you know I, I would say like over optimistic pipeline uh, you know just telling you you know saying yeah I've been having these conversations with these customers and you really aren't um, you know that's stuff that you don't again 
trying to inflate the value of the business and it's not really there, right? So I just, you don't need to do that because, you know, let, let the business, let the business fend for itself, describe what you're doing, be honest about what you're doing and, and allow the kind of the natural process to take place where you can get to get the terms that everybody's comfortable with. And from an entrepreneur's perspective, when you guys are doing, you know, your technical references and due diligence, are you sitting down with their technical team and asking them questions? Are you having a third party that's a technical ex- expert, maybe in this market, sit down with their tech team? What is what is that process? What do you like? think? You think I'm sitting down doing the technology <laughs> due diligence? Probably not. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, me personally, no, I'm not doing technology due diligence. I will hire, you would either hire somebody from the outside to come in or in, in Poplar's case, we actually have a pretty good group of investment advisory partners that are all investors in our fund that are basically available for due diligence if I need them uh, for those things. You know, so it's, you know, again, I've, I've talked about this when we spoke last time, but, you know, folks like Jim Lacey and and, and Chris Remsher at, at uh, Zermed, now Waystar, uh, Chris on the, on the technology side, Jim on the, you know, financial side. You know, I've got others others that have deep technology or deep operating experience that I might pull in to basically take a look at something. So I, I you know, rely on that, or you can go to an outside service. You can actually, you know, engage somebody to actually come in and do a deep dive on technology. Yeah, and are they doing? Are they having conversations primarily about the concepts and you know the ways they're solving problems? Or are they actually looking at the code and seeing how clean the code is? If you do, if you do a again, it, it will vary. Um, and a lot of it, again, depends on or how confident are you in the person that's leading that particular department and or do you have other reference checks that would suggest that 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 executive is sharp and knows what they're talking about. If you if you got those references then you might be a little bit less inclined to go deep. But if you really don't know the company and you don't know the executive that's leading it, then you might hire somebody and you may ask them to, yes, drill down on exactly what they're doing on process how they're, how they're managing their code, all those types of things. Um, and again, it varies. And I would tell you, I would bet that if you ask a hundred VCs, then you might get a hundred different answers in terms of exactly how they want to go do that. Yeah. And, uh, you talked there about pulling in some of the investors in the fund to kind of help with that due diligence, but I want to touch on what does the process look like? Like how are some of the people who are investing in your fund involved in the actual process, are they involved at all throughout the due diligence unless you call on them? Or is there some sort of approval process internally for you guys? What does that part of, of this investment look like? They're, they're really only involved if we pull them in. Right. Right. So, mm-hmm. so the, again, keep in mind, there's LPs that are basically passive that are just invested. They're not active in the business. Obviously we're giving them all the reports and letting them know what's going on. But the, uh, then there are others that are much more that are more active. These investment advisory partners, and that's a little bit unique to Poplar. So, you know, I I think it to me it's a very big value add. These are folks that have deep technology software experience, and they're available both at the due diligence side, the market intelligence side, and then you know we'll talk later about the after the investment process, and that's really where their value kicks in. But I do think that that's unique to Poplar in terms of in terms of how we go about this. Um, as far as as far as making investment decisions, we don't. Um, uh, there is no investment committee. It's basically up until Christian got here, it's me, and and now it's still me. But he's he's got a lot of input in terms of guiding me in terms of you know how we're thinking about investments. 
And that's just the nature of how, how we're set up. Most of the time in any VC firm, you're going to have multiple partners. Those partners ultimately collectively are making the decisions in terms of what those investments are. There may be an investment committee uh, process. And that's probably important for in entrepreneurs to understand what is the process, right? And again, there's nothing wrong with this, but you know, if you get into larger VC firms, there's you know, you've got more senior people, more junior people. Who are you dealing with? Can you get through the process? Can you get through the, can you get through the, the, uh, the exercise to actually get to a term sheet and get to a deal? That's kind of an important thing that you need to think about. But um, for Poplar, it's relatively straightforward. Ultimately, you know, I'm the one making the decision on this particular fund. Uh, with, with, I said, again, input from Christian and then input from our investment advisory partners when we feel like we need to bring them in. Yeah, and you have a smaller committee. You said it was yourself and, and Christian, uh, and so that probably leads to you know a smaller or a shorter time span that these deals are happening. Talk about you know what drives the length of time between when you start talking to an entrepreneur and when you actually get a term sheet and when you actually move forward with that term sheet. Uh, what's the timeline? What should an entrepreneur expect, and how can they either shorten it or you know what are some some strategies to you know kind of use it to their advantage. Yeah, I mean, I would say leading up to the term sheet, that's very founder driven. So if they're urgent to raise capital, raise capital, they can really do that as quickly as the VC and investment firm can move. I've seen some founders who slow play it, right? So they're not like, I got to have capital raised by this date. I would say on average, it's probably two months leading up to the term sheet, maybe three months sometimes. And then after that, I would say it probably follows a more scheduled rotation of you're looking at probably eight to 10 weeks, maybe 12 weeks from a formal due diligence post-term sheet. And really the hangup there, again, can get when you bring in third-party functional people, sometimes they take longer than you anticipate. Everyone's moving simultaneously throughout the process. Um, so it's not like you're waiting for one piece to get done before you move to the next the only thing that's really dependent in that process is legal. You have to make sure everything from a functional due diligence standpoint gets buttoned up before you move to legal. So all in, I think, you know, you can be looking at probably six months is a good time frame to bet on. Um, you six know, months for what? The entire process from the time you decide to raise capital to the time the money's put in your bank. Um, so before term sheet and after term sheet. You know, again, to Poplar's advantage, you know, if, if we need to move quickly, given we have one sole investment committee really member, uh, we can move quickly. When you get into those bigger VC shops, it's probably going to take longer because it is more of a bureaucratic process and you have to get multiple approvals. You know, one point I may highlight, too, about the bigger firms, you know, for the entrepreneurs listening is I think that's really hones in on being able to articulate your business because you're not the one selling to the investment committee. Whoever your sponsor is, so whoever the partner is on your deal, they're going back to the investment committee and selling that deal to the investment committee. So really ensuring that you're being one truthful, open, and honest about everything that's going on with the business, but then also articulating it in a way that is going to allow that partner to go talk about it too. And, and also that's why the partner is drilling in so deeply to understand the business is they're going to be the ones selling this going forward. The only thing I would add to that is the timeline. Uh, and I got, I got to beat the private. He's, he's coming from the private equity world. <laughs> private equity world takes a long time. They, yeah, they do all that yeah. stuff. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're, from the, from the time of term sheet to closing, 
I would anticipate that being faster than that. That the what did you say? Eight to twelve weeks, something like that. So, I mean, that's if it's a complicated deal, then that's probably accurate. But I would argue that we try to move a lot faster than that. And again, it just the more I know about the company, the quicker I move, um, and we're able to just kind of roll right through it, um, and you know, do the do what we need to do. Yeah, and to kind of bring this back to, I know I feel like people look at VCs and it's like, oh, they've got all this money and, you know, they're grinding all the time, but let's kind of humanize uh, venture capitalists. Uh, talk about the excitement. And the We're human. <laughs> yeah, that's what, yeah, exactly. People <laughs> like to think of them as aliens or something, I guess. But uh, let's talk about the emotion, the excitement that goes into actually, you know, getting that check and, you know, essentially funding a company to, to make some stuff happen. That's got to be a big kind of roller coaster in a way. And then, well, to, can I to, can I can I just say first of all, if you if you actually watch what we do on a daily basis, it's a lot of work. Oh, I'm sure that's okay. Awesome. So yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying it's harder than an entrepreneur because it's not. Right. Because I would argue, if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to build a business, that that by far, much much harder. So I would never even compare the two. But we spend a lot of time looking at a lot of companies and you know, drilling down, having a lot of conversations you know, really trying to understand their business. Again, keep in mind, we're coming in, in a lot of cases, we don't, we don't know the business as well as the entrepreneur. So it, you know, it depends on the type of business because some businesses, yeah, I, I, I joke to Christian, some of them make my head hurt. Right. So it's like, I'm, I'm looking at it going, I know this is a, it feels like a good opportunity, but I'm having a hard time getting my head around it. Either it could be technology, could be something, it could be any number of things, but, but it's a lot of work to, to go through that process and kind of work through each one and kind of make that decision. Okay. You know, fast, no, not interested. Uh, you know, that one looks pretty interesting. Let's take a, let's take a meeting. No, we don't want to do that one. That one looks interesting. Let's take a meeting. Yeah. It looks even, looks even better. Let's keep going. Let's go through that process. You're working multiple deals at one time, trying to work through that process. It's a lot of work to, to do that. I would argue that, that, you know, if, if you're the type of person that enjoys um, looking at businesses and if you're kind of naturally curious about business, it's a lot of fun, right? Because you get to see some things that you never, that you just, that you don't know about. You get to learn things. You know, you guys sitting here doing this podcast, think of all the people that you've had a chance to talk to where you've been able to learn an awful lot. And I mean, that's, that's worth more than a, a college class, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I, so, so all of that is great. Um, I would say for me, emotionally, the, um, the, the most exciting part is, I mean, ultimately the best part is the, is the actual journey, to be honest with you. Um, the highs are going to be when you do the deal, and when you exit the deal, but the journey is the part that I, I, I'm going to have to tell you, because again, I, I, I go back and I think about Nextel where I was there for 17 years and he took it from a few million to billions of revenue. It, the, the process of going through it, and trust me, there were so many times in that process where the company was going sideways and things were, things were just flying at you from all different directions. It's the journey that is the best part. And so ultimately that's what I like the most. It's like, okay, I've, I, I like this business. I like this entrepreneur. I like this team. I want to get in and I want to help them. And I want to grow that business. 
And so when we make that investment, it's all it's about all the work from there. And trust me, every single investment has a problem or multiple problems, and you're going to have to fight through it and you're going to have to figure it out. And what what I what I think that, you know, one of the things I do try I personally try to bring to the table is the experience of having already lived it and realizing you will get through this. It is not there is nothing that's in front of you that you cannot deal with and that you cannot fight through. You just have to block, do the blocking and tackling and you just got to take care, take care of business, you know, deal with the issue in front of you and, and deal with it. So I, I just, um, you know, again, there's a lot of emotion. I mean, it's like up and down. I, and I tell you, if, if, a, if a company, if I get a, you know, a note from a, from an entrepreneur or one of my investments and something bad is going on, it's like, that's like a, it's like a punch to the gut. It's like, you feel like, ugh, I don't, you know, doesn't, you know, you get through it. And the way you get through it is you dig in, right? I mean, the worst case scenario is I don't understand what's going on. Something bad's going on. I don't understand it. And this is my, another big message to entrepreneurs, communicate with your investors, because if I can, the more you tell me, even if it's bad, I will dig in. I will, I will listen to what you're saying. I will try to do whatever I can to help. But if you just hide it from me, and and things are not going in the right direction, it makes me feel even worse, right? I mean, I'm like, I'm like, what is going on here? So let me know what's going on. Let me dig in. The more you dig in, you realize, okay, it's it's an issue, but we can get past this. We can figure it out. It sounds like a marriage. Good communication. <laughs> are you married? So, I'm not. No, I imagine. <laughs> then you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you know, good communication, yeah. supporting each other through the highs and lows. That's what VC is all about here. You know, Christian said it as we started. It's a, it's a marriage. You got to know what you're getting into. A question I had uh, is, is there any kind of party? Is there any kind of dinner when it's closed? What, what does it look like? You know, from not anymore. Not with COVID. Yeah. You're not allowed yeah. to do that. In a non-COVID way. world, you guys throw in, <laughs> throwing parties. You're taking out the dinner. What, is, what does it look like when it's closed? I don't know. The PE guys probably have a big party. Yeah. In the PE world, there's what's called like a closing dinner. Usually like a month or two months after you'll get, you know, actually whoever was selling. So if it was another investment firm and another buying investment firm, they all get together with the management team and, and parties involved and the bankers who were advising the deal. And you all go out and do maybe a one nighter somewhere and have a nice dinner and outing and have a good time and celebrate. I think, you know, we personally celebrate too, you know, if I close a deal, you know, going home at night and definitely at least cracking open a bottle of wine or, or cold beer and, and celebrating in that respect, no doubt. Tell my wife it's over and we can sleep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Sure. All sure. right. So that was part two of the series. Uh, again, in part one, uh, we talked all about the hunt. You know, the due diligence, what's involved in finding deals uh, from both the VC's perspective and from the entrepreneur's perspective. How do you find the VC, and what does that process look like? Uh, we just talked about the investment, so the term sheets, the valuation the due diligence. Uh, next, we're going to talk about after the investment. So John, you're just referencing when things go wrong, you want to dig in and you're providing that that uh, support all the way through the relationship to when there's an exit of some kind or when you guys are out of the deal. Um, and we're going to dive into that on this next episode. So stay tuned.